Welcome to D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. I'm D.T. Kane, author of the epic fantasy series The Agersfar Saga and The Spoken Books Uprising. Each week, I read from one of my novels, discuss my writing process, answer your questions, and have general discussions about fantasy fiction. It's like a book club, except I do all the work for you. Find show notes, info about all my novels, and much more at dtkane.com. Here's the show. Chapter 16 There's a what down there with him? You heard me, Baz said, still searching for breath. A worm. Big one. Come off it, Bastion. You must have been seeing things. We would have heard by now if there was a worm. There'd be roaring and fire, and rocks would certainly be fighting. I think it was asleep. Asleep? Rocks fell on it, but it's asleep? Baz had regained enough composure to glare at Deliritus. I didn't say he fell on it. More like to the side. He was trying to tell me to be quiet. Why else would he do that? Deliritus glanced over to the pit, then back to Baz, narrowing his eyes. Baz could figure out what he was thinking well enough. Deliritus was trying to decide whether this was some sort of ploy to separate him from rocks so that Baz could escape, or maybe even kill him. Baz wanted to be angry at that, but as much as he hated it, he couldn't really blame Deliritus for thinking so. Here he was, hurt and exposed in the wilds, putting faith in someone who for years he'd worried held a dangerous grudge against him, a worry that was completely justified. Just a week or two ago, Baz would have relished the thought of an opportunity to leave Deliritus to rot alone in the woods, surrounded by foul beasts. Why didn't that still seem so appealing to him? Do you need to see for yourself? I can try to get your horse closer, though it might shy from the smell of the worm. Deliritus was biting his lip now, looking decidedly unleaderly but eventually he firmed his jaw and sat up as best he could with his broken leg. No, that won't be necessary. Thank you, Baz said. For what? Never mind. Let's figure out how to get rocks out of there. All right, Deliritus said slowly. But I think that's going to be largely up to you, Bastion. You're the only one who can actually see the situation. Baz opened his mouth to protest, but for once had the good sense to shut it before something he'd regret came out. What did he want? First, upset Deliritus didn't trust him, now upset that Deliritus was putting all the trust in him? Fine, let me go get a better look. I didn't exactly stop and stare just now. Deliritus nodded agreement, and Baz crept his way back to the hole where rocks had fallen. Taking a deep breath, and wondering once more why he didn't just leave Deliritus and Rox both, he got down on his chest and peeped over the edge. Even knowing the worm was there, it still took Baz three or four attempts before he could do more than glance at it. He'd known that they existed, of course, but seeing is believing, as they say, and seeing a monster in the flesh is an entirely different experience than hearing about one in casual conversation. 
It had a single long length of body, maybe as long as five horses together, snout to tail, though it was difficult to tell, as three-quarters of its length was coiled up in a pile on the side of the pit opposite rocks. It emitted a sort of iridescent halo that hurt Baz's eyes, almost as if the shadows themselves were afraid to get too near it. There were no limbs along its great length, which was covered in scales the color of pine needles. Slits just behind its head glowed orange, and smoke curled out from between teeth sharp as knives. Baz could feel the heat emanating off it all the way from the top of the pit, and could smell its breath, a mix of sulfur and something resembling rotten meat topped with honey. The thing was beautiful in its own terrible way, like a finely honed axe grasped tight by an executioner. Rox remained in the same position he'd been in when Baz had first glanced over the pit's edge, not having moved an inch. He was standing toward the worm's tail. His razor, however, lay near the worm's mouth, well out of reach. That explained a lot. If Rox had his razor, he might just be able to hack the worm to pieces. Baz swallowed, thinking over the options, cursing Deliritus all the while for the inadequate preparation he'd given him for a situation such as this. What little spoken power Baz could even pretend to have a proficiency in was focused on fire, which would be useless against a creature that lived with a literal furnace constantly burning within it. He knew Deliritus had brought books of earth and water as well, but Rox didn't have time for Baz to stumble over the pronunciations six or ten times before getting them right. There was that book that sucked the oxygen from the air, but even without the use of its fire, if the worm woke up, it was likely to just thrash rocks with its barbed tail and bulk. For the first time in his life, Baz was looking at a situation that couldn't be solved with a spoken book. Any elemental attack would either be ineffective, or the worm would see it coming and pulp rocks. Rox's bald head was sweating, and Baz figured that even the brute of a man was likely nervous, having fallen into that pit. Baz pawed around in the dirt until his fingers clenched around some pebbles. He tossed one at Rox to get his attention, just to let him know he was up there. The big man looked up, brows raised. Then he shrugged his shoulders as if to say, What's the plan? Baz almost lifted his hands in reply to indicate, What do you want from me? But then a thought hit him, stemming from the pebble he'd thrown at rocks. He'd thrown a rock. At rocks. <laughs> it was a terrible thought. Well, actually, it was the most sensible plan that had crossed his mind. But no... It was awful. Why would he even think it? Bloody burning books. He held up a finger to rocks, indicating he'd be right back. Baz eased himself back from the pit, then hurried back to Deliritus. That, uh, metal hook thingy, Baz said. Where is it? The climbing hook? Why didn't I think of that? Just let old rocks climb out. Baz shook his head. There weren't any large trees close enough to the pit to which they could attach the hook. 
and there was a good chance the sound of him climbing would wake the beast, which would lead to rocks becoming lunch for the worm. He said as much to Deliritus. Then what do you need the... Deliritus's eyes widened and apprised Baz as if he were a beggar on the street asking for pages. You're not going down there, are you? Baz laughed a bitter laugh. I'm not that mad, but pretty blasted close to it, he thought. Come on, the worm could wake up any moment. It's here. Deliritus fished around in his saddlebag, coming out with the hook and a length of rope. Bass took it without comment and hurried back to the pit. When he got to the hole, he tossed another pebble at rocks and held up the hook and rope, then moored it down to him. Rocks considered it, then glanced at the worm, clearly thinking Baz meant for him to climb. When rocks looked back to him, Baz shook his head and pointed at the razor that lay before the worm, then made a pulling motion. Rox looked to his weapon, then back once more. Baz held up a finger. One moment. Pushing himself up, Baz circled halfway around the pit so he was standing above the worm's head. He grabbed the brim of his hat, running his hand along its length. You better be as fast as I think you are, Rox. Hey! Baz shouted throwing a rock at the sleeping worm. Hey, uh, nasty scaly fireface! Wow, that was terrible. He never insulted a reptile before, but it got the worm's attention. One eye open, both horizontal and vertical lids sliding back to reveal a yellow orb with a dark slash of a pupil down its center. The eye darted about. Before the worm could fix on the newcomer in its lair, Bass tossed a stone right at the eye. That really got its attention. With a rumble from within the depths of its coils, it stirred, untwisting, and began to rise up. And up. And up. Forget five horses. It was easily ten horses in length. It reared up out of the hole, towering over Baz and swaying from side to side. It opened its mouth and began to speak. It wasn't the common tongue, words that Baz could actually understand as a form of communication. Rather, it was the language of destruction, right from the books, guttural tones that carried suggestions of burning and suffering, heat and pain, calamities and sorrow. For an instant, Baz thought he gleaned some meaning, like it was telling him to be gone, to leave its home. In an insane moment of melancholy, he reflected that Tax might actually like the creature, as it seemed to vindicate his belief that words were important, even if they could never fully be understood. The beast continued to speak, chanting in an ululating pattern that vibrated Baz's ribcage. With each passing moment, the fire visible through the slits in its neck grew brighter. Baz considered running or diving to one side, but that would be pointless. The thing would catch him no matter which way he went. From behind, Baz heard Deliritus cry out in consternation and shock. Baz nearly laughed, as the first thing that occurred to him was to hope Deliritus hadn't fallen off his horse, as it would be a chore getting him back on, as if that would matter with the worm bearing down on him. The chanting stopped. The worm reared, 
a putrid rush of heated air whipping past Baz's face as it inhaled. Perhaps he should have asked Deliritas about that oxygen-depleting book, or taken back the air's burgundy cloak to test its claimed fire retardation. Too late now. He closed his eyes, waiting for the burn to come. Thrunk. Baz opened his eyes at the strange sound, just in time to see the worm, a look of what could only be described as surprise in its eyes, falling back into the pit as if its head had been suspended from a string that had just snapped. Its face disappeared from view. Then there was another sound. Thrunk. Then silence. Baz just stood there, mouth hanging open. He looked over to Deliritus. His face looked like Baz felt, as if he'd just run to tome and back with the entirety of the Torchsire library strapped to his back. Finally, he built up the nerve to edge over to the pit and look down. Rox stood there amidst a mess of scaled coils. He had his razor in one hand, fully extended, its jagged teeth dripping with steaming black ichor. In his other hand, he held the worm's head, eyes still open and, quite unsettlingly, still moving from side to side, as if it hadn't figured out it was dead. Rox looked up to Baz, eyes glowing with excitement. He held up the head, as if Baz couldn't already tell he was holding the severed noggin of a fire-breathing monstrosity. Dinner! Rox proclaimed. Chapter 17 Baz had definitely thought Rox was joking, but it was roasted worm for dinner that night. After Rox had decapitated the beast, it had just been a matter of figuring out how to get the big man out of the pit. Eventually, they'd tied one end of the rope to Baz's horse and hoisted Rox out. He was covered in the worm's blood and stink, and when Deliritus saw that Rox had brought the thing's severed head up with him, he nearly fainted. To be fair, Baz had grown a bit lightheaded himself. They'd both tried to get rocks to toss the thing away, but he insisted worms were a delicacy in Enigma, and their fangs were good luck charms. They'd put the worm pit behind them as quickly as possible and found their way back to the road without running into any other trouble. After another hour or so of traveling, they'd come out of the forest and into the reach. It was still a forest, but of another kind. Charred, dead stumps surrounded them on all sides, not a single green thing far as the eye could see. Parts of the reach grew a little larger each year as worms expanded their territory, burning down foliage, though Mother Nature's replenishment outpaced the number of worms, and the reach as a whole never proliferated. But neither did it shrink. Whatever had happened the day of the burning had rendered the core of the reach fallow. Worms were not communal and rarely strayed onto the great road. While the worm they just killed would have settled on them for a meal, the creatures seemed to much prefer wood, charred to a crisp, and didn't go out of their way to find humans. That meant the reach's greatest danger was really its lack of cover. So long as you could find a place out of sight, you were unlikely to be bothered. They had found such a site about an hour after entering the reach. 
two giant stumps close to one another, partially decayed to form a semi-enclosure. It was a bit snug, but fit the three of them without too much trouble, the stink of the worm that still clung to rocks notwithstanding. And there they sat, Deliritus and Baz, each with a half-loaf of stale bread and dried berries, sitting forgotten before them as they watched in fascinated horror as rocks dug into the cooked worm. He'd caked the whole thing in mud and stuck it right into the fire beneath the coals. An hour later, he'd removed it, cracking the mud away, which pulled away the scales as well. Now he held the hunk of meat in both hands, grease rolling down his arms. He'd taken his mask off, the first time Baz had ever seen him without it. He looked far less intimidating. His nose was crooked, like it'd been broken more than once, and there were a few days' worth of unshaved scruff along his jaw. Besides that, if you didn't notice the size of the rest of him, he looked like a relatively ordinary man of about thirty. Well, perhaps a bit more grizzled than typical, but still. Finally, Deliritus found his voice and began talking. For once, Baz was actually glad to hear it, as it was something to do other than battle between his mental disgust at the thought of eating worm and the growling in his stomach the smell of cooked meat had produced. I must say, that whole debacle was rather my fault. My tutors taught me of such traps set by the cityless. They find natural worm layers and cover them up like that, hoping to catch travelers unaware. Worm kills them, and the cityless pillage whatever valuables are left over. So I'm sorry, my giant rocks. Lies. Rox said between juicy bites, I was careless. Stop your lies and speak truths. Bastion saved me and deserves gratitude. Baz raised his eyebrows. Had the brute just thanked him? Yes, well, Deliritus said, suddenly becoming preoccupied with the strips of cloth that held the splint in place around his leg. I suppose young Bastion does have his uses. Baz scoffed, making a point of adjusting his hat in Deliritus's direction. He'd never receive a syllable of gratitude from Deliritus. It seems to me, Baz said, that most of the valuables the cityless could pillage off travelers would be of little use to them out here in the wilds. It's more like they're trying to keep people away. Deliritus shrugged. Perhaps... Who knows what's in their minds? Their lawless savages would probably let their kind read and speak if they could. Deliritus trailed off, scowling to himself, then scowling even harder when his eyes danced over Baz's hat. Baz gave a leering smile in return and pointedly adjusted the cap some more. But what Deliritus had said also reminded him of something he hadn't thought of since leaving erstwhile. Remember that cityless they captured just before we left? That did nothing to lessen Deliritus's scowl. The one who nearly killed Delida, you mean? Er, yes, that one. Bass took off his hat, turning it over in his hands, thinking of his words carefully. He said he learned to read at the home of the scribes. Now, I don't know about that. It seems pretty unlikely that there's a school for cityless out in the ruins of Tome. 
much less one that can teach them to read, but... Baz shrugged. That guy had been worked over pretty well by the time he said that. Does it make you think there might be something more than rubble and a few books left over from the burning there? <laughs> Deliritus laughed. Oh, Bastion, I can't blame you. You simply don't have the experience. But cityless say crazy things like that all the time. It's just nonsense. They've spent over a hundred years at this point growing up in the wilds. No education or society to civilize them. I mean, did you hear what else that man was saying? Declaimer's transcendence? That's a child's tale. My mother used to scare me with it when I was small. Poppycock. What is a declaimer anyway? Baz asked. Deliritus waved a hand at him. Nothing important, just mindless fiction. Baz wanted to press further, but was interrupted by a slurping from Rox's direction. The harbor had cracked one of the worm's bones in half and was sucking the marrow from it. Baz said the first thing that came to mind, anything to stop rocks before Baz lost what little dinner he'd managed to eat. So enigmans really eat those things on a regular basis, rocks? Rocks finished with the bone before answering, even holding it up to his eye to inspect whether anything remained within it, then tossing it to the side. He seemed to consider a moment before responding, it was so odd to see his full face. He seemed almost, well, normal. Just a man thinking over an answer. Yes, he finally said. Rox paused for a long moment again, picking his words like a tailor might mull over different bolts of cloth. But most in the mountains are bigger than that one. Killing them is not so simple. But when we do, we eat. For worms hold no lies. All worms are descended from a single mother, the All-Truth. While all living things contain each of the five elements, the All-Truth was made of only four. She contained no shadow, the element of conceit and uncertainty. There is no food more pure than a worm's flesh. Sounds like you, um, sort of worship them. We do. Rox nodded with far more enthusiasm than Baz had ever seen the harbor exhibit. But isn't that sort of like, er, eating your god? Rox flicked a bit of worm scale off his chin. Perhaps. But when your gods are constantly trying to kill you, all you can do is fight back. Rox shrugged. And once one has been killed, it must be put to use. Death for no reason is a lie. Waste is a lie. Huh, was all Baz could think to say in response. Don't get him started, Bastion. That's all they care about in Enigma, truths and lies. Haven't you ever heard my father dicker with merchants from there? No, I suppose you haven't. In most of Oration, we worship the scribes. But in the icy heights, the only religion is truth. Lying is a sin to those people. Oh, Baz said. He'd known that Rox took his vow to protect Deliritus seriously, but beyond that, he'd never really cared to know anything about the brute. That doesn't sound so bad, Deliritus scoffed. Maybe in the abstract, but just think of how often you need to stretch the truth a bit. Not even necessarily lie, just a harmless fib here and there. 
A friend asks if you like their horrendous new tunic. My uncle asks if I've read all 527 pages he assigned me. A buyer asks just how old is that horse. Well, how are they so good at trading then? I hear the Duke complain all the time about slippery enigmas. They've evolved the twist of words into an art form, Thaliritus said, shaking his head. Most readers rely on their influencers to broker trades, prodding their opposition in the desired direction. But enigmans naturally do it, no books required. They'll say something that seems airtight truth, but when you really inspect it later, you'll realize it meant something entirely different without being a lie. The words mean what they mean, Rox said, nodding. Yes, quite annoying, Deliritus said but it means they make for excellent harbors. There's no greater lie than failing in an oath. Rox's face became grave. An enigman would sooner die than go back on an oath. Or, he said, eyes turning to Baz, permit another to go back on an oath. Baz had begun picking at his food again and nearly choked on a berry. Was that what Rox thought Baz had done? made an oath to Deliritus to help him finish the trials? Deliritus laughed as if he hadn't noticed Rox's veiled threat. That's also why Rox speaks at the pace of a snail. He's actually got quite the brain in that noggin of his, but enigmans choose their words with exceeding care, lest they say something that's not actually true. Great. So Rox was not only a bloodthirsty killer, but a smart one to boot and one that intended to see Baz carry out the deal he'd made with Deliritus. Not that Baz had any real intentions of backing out. Running away into the wilds would be even more threatening to his health than remaining a slave to Deliritus at this point. Well, it's just about time to hit the feathers, boys. Bastion, why don't you warm up the fire? Baz sighed, but didn't bother complaining. He pushed himself up to go feed the flames, but a grunt from Rox stopped him. The giant man was looking at Deliritus. Ah, oh yes, Deliritus said, looking slightly embarrassed. We did talk about that, Rox, didn't we? Talked about what? Baz asked, wary of Deliritus's reaction to Rox. He almost seemed embarrassed. Well, when you were off gathering wood for the fire earlier... Rox and I had a chat. Rox cleared his throat. Oh, stop it, man. I don't need to pick over my words as carefully as you. But if you must know, it was mostly Rox talking and poking me in the chest, I might add. He turned his chin up toward Rox, indignant. Anyway, he's of the opinion that you've now saved each of us from great peril more than once. Little Dell, Rox rumbled. Yes, yes. It's simple fact, not opinion. And, well, he makes a good point that... Well, let's just get on with it. Deliritus turned to the book pack beside him and removed a spoken book from it. Do not repeat this, he said to Baz. Just hear the words. And without opening the book, he recited a simple spell. It was only a handful of words, but Baz recognized it. How could he not? It was the same fire-starting spell 
Tex had been teaching to him all those years ago. You have that? Deliritus asked. Baz nodded, not quite believing what he was witnessing. Good. Deliritus slid the book over the ground to Baz. Now, don't you open that book. I'm not ready for that, and Rox will bash your skull in if you do. Baz's eyes darted to Rox. The man grinned at him, but also put a hand on his razor. But you've my permission to use that spell. No stop rune required. Now, heat the fire and let's get some rest. Baz stared at Deliritus open-mouthed. This wasn't unheard of, of course. Readers permitted their speakers to memorize basic spells all the time for convenience. No one wanted to have to open a book and read every time a candle needed lighting, and if the book was close by to supply a power source, it didn't even need to be opened so long as the words were spoken correctly. But Deliritus? Permitting Baz to do it? What was the world coming to? Oh, don't look at me like that, Deliritus said. If you're going to get me through these trials with this broken leg, you'll need to be able to do some things without my help, after all. Baz's mouth dropped farther, though now it was because Deliritus had spoken as if, to that point, Baz hadn't exercised any agency of his own. Ordinarily, he'd have started an argument over that, but he looked down to the spoken book Deliritus had just handed him, then back up. His mouth slowly closed without saying a thing. Deliritus smiled at him. Truth, Rox thundered. All right. Hello, friends. Welcome back to D.D. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. Today is Thursday, April 7th, 2022, as I record this episode 13 of the podcast. Busy, busy over uh, over here in the Kane household. Declaimer's Discovery comes out next week, which is hard to believe because I've got so, so much more to do it, uh, do for it before it comes out. But that's the, uh, the good old life of the self-published author there for you. I'm doing most of this stuff by myself. Uh, got an update, and you know we'll look behind the curtain here as we always do on the analysis portion of the podcast. Um, but just some of the stuff I have to do. It's not just worrying about book two. Uh, I've got to update the front and the back matter of the first book, uh, so it no longer says the book is on pre-order, but it's actually out. Um, and then get that you know uploaded to all the various sites, and uh, then I have to get the pre-order for the third book set up. Uh, before I worry about the second book, because I want to put a link to the third, the pre-order of the third book and the second book. Then I have some formatting uh, to finish on the second book, and man, <laughs> a lot to do, but it uh, it's all going to get done. Um, so all of you who have your pre-orders in, do never fear. It will be, uh, it will be ready for you April 15th. <clears throat> Uh, let's see, April 15th, 2022, for those of you listening in the future. Uh, on top of that, I'm also plugging away at part four uh, of the Spoken Books Uprising, uh, title to be announced. I'll do an unveiling of that, um, I don't know, sometime after book two comes out. Uh, that's not going as fast as I want, but you know, I knew that was going to be the case. You know, Last year, I wrote 
the first three books all in one year. Now I'm releasing them here, but all I was doing was writing last year. I didn't have the podcast here. I didn't have to worry about book releases, so uh, I just got to... I'm really saying this more for myself than you guys out there, but I just got to accept that I don't have quite as much time uh, as I did last year for writing, uh, and that's okay. You know, there's only so many hours in the day, and I have a day job <laughs> as well, so take some deep breaths and just keep keep chipping away, uh, you know. Yeah, persistence beats talent, uh, you know, 95% of the time. Um... Not a ton to report on the personal front this week outside of uh, the writing, though uh, my birthday is coming up in a few days here. That's exciting, though 35 years old sounds kind of hard to believe for me. But uh, nevertheless, looking forward to a fun weekend in Buffalo this weekend. Meeting my parents, meeting my sister and her boyfriend. Going to have a nice dinner, probably have a beer or two. Uh, it'll be a good time. Uh, hoping to get a new pair of running shoes for my birthday that I will be using in my half marathon next month. So, fingers crossed for those of you watching on the uh, on the YouTubes here. Um, and I guess the only other thing is uh, if you'd like to give me some last minute help uh, to help make my release a success next week, uh, consider leaving a review of book one of the series. Um, the Actus Trials, which of course is what we're reading here on the podcast uh, together. So if, uh, if you've finished the book already or if you feel like you've heard enough of it already on the podcast to leave an honest review, uh, I encourage you to do so and that'll help me out a lot. Thank you. Uh, all right, so onward to chapter 16. Um, right, uh, there's a what down there with him? That's our first section here. And right off the bat, our cliffhanger from last week is answered. Rox has fallen into a pit with a worm. <laughs> a big one, uh, according to Baz. And, uh, you know, luck luckily Rox didn't fall on top of it, right? So the worm is, uh, asleep, so there's a chance to rescue him. Uh, initially, Deliritus doesn't actually believe Baz that there's a worm down there. Looking, you know, he looks at him skeptically, uh, and Baz Baz actually understands here instead of getting angry. You know, Deliritus is kind of vulnerable here without rocks, and he's injured, uh, and he's been worried for ten years that Baz is going to seek revenge on him, which Baz actually admits. <laughs> Uh, well, at least admits in his head, not to Deliritus, that, uh, you know, just a few weeks ago he would have relished this situation to kind of leave Deliritus alone out in the wilds, but now it doesn't seem nearly as appealing to Baz as it might have in the recent past. You know, Baz, Baz continuing uh, his journey here, continuing to change. Uh, so Deliritus uh, does ultimately decide to trust Baz, though, which uh, Baz actually tells him thank you, though Deliritus kind of goes over his head, doesn't realize what Baz is thanking him for. Uh, and then he basically leaves it up to Baz to figure out how to get rocks out of this sticky situation. Um, so Deliritus uh, putting some trust in Baz here. Right, so Baz crawls back over to the pit to get a uh, to assess the situation. Uh, an iridescent halo, uh, you know. So, what does this worm look like? Uh, probably not the most creative monster you've ever read about. I'm certainly not the first person <laughs> to write about worms. You know, it's it's basically a giant snake, right? Long length of body, green scales, no limbs, sharp teeth, 
yellow eyes. You've seen it before. Uh, except it does have this odd glow to it, though, right? You know, almost as if the shadows themselves were afraid to get too near to it. You know, uh, you know, hold the thought, hold that thought on that description. We'll uh, we'll come back to that <clears throat> in a minute. Um, but okay, back to the to the action here. So Baz assesses uh, again, like I said, and he realizes he's not going to be able to get out of this using spells. Um, you know, the worm breathes fire, so fire spells aren't going to work. And, you know, that's what Baz is, you know, generally good at, fire. That's what he tells us. Uh, he says he's not great with the other spells Delir just brought. Um, you know, and even, uh, you know, even if he was, <clears throat> the worm would probably just eat rocks. <laughs> While Baz is trying to figure out how to, how to pronounce the, the words of these other spells. Um, and I kind of, I like this situation here. I think I've mentioned before, and this is a, I'm pretty sure this is a Brandon Sanderson uh, rule of magic, but, you know, magic's generally more interesting for what it can't do uh, than what it can do, which may seem counterintuitive at first, but, you know, blasting yourself out of a tight spot with fireballs, uh, you know, that that's going to be exciting once or twice, right? But, you know, it gets boring pretty quickly. Uh, you know, you get a lot of... <laughs> You'll be, you'll be getting some eye rolls soon if you just get your main character out of every issue by them snapping their fingers with some magical power. Um, so instead, you know, figuring out how to save yourself without magic, you know, that takes you on twists you might not have uh, seen coming and generally makes for some more interesting storytelling. Uh, and, you know, and how many of you expected uh, uh, the the solution Baz comes up with? You know, he runs... He runs back to Deliritus and asks for the the metal hook thingy. <laughs> you know, it's a uh, a grappling hook is is exactly what this is. And did any of you catch that we saw this getting loaded onto the horses <laughs> back in chapter eight? Uh, and Baz was wondering, you know, what geez, what use could that possibly have? I think he said something like, "Are, are there mountains between here and home that I don't know about?" But you know, some uh, some tricky foreshadowing there uh, from your friendly neighborhood author here. Um, so what's the plan? Uh, not to have rocks climb out, you know, Baz clarifies, there's no trees close enough to hold his weight, and, you know, he'd probably wake the worm up while he was climbing out anyway, and, uh, that would accomplish nothing but rocks getting eaten. So we don't want to do that, uh, so no, the plan is to give rocks the hook so he can kind of use it to hook his razor and retrieve it. And meanwhile, uh, more changes going on here. Baz is going to trust rocks to get his weapon while Baz distracts the worm and kill the worm. Uh, you know, so uh, Baz, you know, he's still not really admitting this to himself, but but times they are a-changing, right? <laughs> uh, no way he would have trusted rocks like this at the beginning, uh, the beginning of the book. All right, so uh, words of import. That is our third section here in chapter 16. At least that's what I'm dubbing it on the podcast here. So Baz throws a rock. Uh, at the worm, uh, which draws its attention, the thing rises up, proving to be even larger than Baz thought. Ten horses, uh, nose to tail in length. That's like 80 feet. And trust me, that it's 80 feet because I googled. I googled how long a horse is. Average of eight feet long. <laughs> so trust the old Google machine. Uh, so then the worm begins to speak. You know, you probably think. I think, you know, it opens its mouth, and you're like, oh, what's going to come out? Uh, is it just going to breathe fire right away? No, it starts talking. Uh, you know, who saw that coming? Well, maybe some of you did, because remember, back in the prologue, uh, 
our dragon in the prologue could speak, right? So maybe this isn't so incredible that the worm can too, though of course it's not speaking in the common tongue like our dragon in the prologue was, but it's speaking in the language uh, of destruction. Uh, you know, so the, the, the language Baz uses to cast all of his destructed spells. Um, and, you know, Baz does get some uh, some sense of what the dragon is saying. So there is some meaning in the words, right? Telling him to be gone, uh, to leave its home. Um, and this is... Uh, this is the uh, this harkens back. Even Baz mentions this this idea from uh, Tax, uh, Baz's brother, that words are important even if they're not fully understood. All right, so we're gonna exit D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club for a moment, and I'm gonna welcome you in to D.T. Kane's uh, Epic Philosophy Book Club. <laughs> uh, what do you think? Is this sentiment true? Words are important even if they're not fully understood. Uh, you know, certainly in the context of the book, it seems there's some truth to this, right? You know, after all, Baz at least hinted earlier that Tax kind of continued his education by having him listening to all the retiree songs. And that seems to have taught Baz something, uh, even if he didn't fully grasp it at the time, because uh, he proved he's able to read. Remember, he reads that spell that saves Deliritus and Rocks from Marla and Hellar. <coughs> earlier, even though he hasn't read in 10 years. So, sure, in the context of the book, that seems to make sense. Uh, what about uh, in, in real life? Well, I guess, let me pose this question to all of you out there in listener land. Uh, you ever read a book, then return to it years later and find all these new meanings uh, you totally missed the first time? Well, does that mean it didn't have any value uh, the first time you read it? Um, I don't, I don't think so, and I don't think most people <clears throat> would say that. You know, we're all constantly changing. Sometimes books and the meanings behind them can change for us too in different chapters of our lives. So, you know, I guess the alternative here would be: should we simply not read something because we can't fully understand it? That doesn't seem like a good idea. You know, if <laughs> if you only read things you understood, you would never learn anything. Uh, I think so. Kind of an interesting point here, uh, an analogy for real life um, through something that's going on in the book. But okay, so our philosophy lesson over. Take my uh, take my cap off here. Welcome back to D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. Uh, all right, so I uh, hope you think I did a decent job here of building some tension as the dragon is about to breathe fire on Bass. But obviously he doesn't die. I'm sure none of you are expecting that. Worm almost breathes the fire on him, but then Rox gets his razor and uh, chops the worm up. Whew. Baz. Baz is safe. His trust in Rox justified. And then we hop right into chapter 17. Uh, Good Eats <laughs> is, uh, is our first heading here in chapter 17. Uh, right, so we're, uh, so we're going from the Epic Philosophy Book Club here to uh, diners, drive-ins, uh, and dives. Food Network, please don't sue me. Uh, Rox cuts <laughs> Rox cuts off the worm's head and brings it with him and cooks it for dinner. Man, <laughs> and, uh, apparently they are a delicacy in Enigma. Uh, these worms. Remember, that's where Rox is from, the city of Enigma, up in the icy heights. 
Um, so initially, I'm kind of portraying this right as just the typical big brute eating a man's meal. I capitalized man's meal in the script here. Man's meal. Man's meal. But, <laughs> but come on, guys. You ought to know. You ought to know I'm a little deeper than that usually. Uh, not all, I guess not all the time, right? I did. <laughs> in the last chapter, I didn't talk about it, but I'll talk about it here. I, uh, I had that joke about throwing a rocks at rocks. <laughs> I'm sure you all hate me. Uh, but <laughs> there you go. Um, but there is some meaning behind this here uh, besides just bringing a gross worm's head back to cook. You know, we learn Adigmans actually sort of worship worms. Rox tells this quick story that all of them descended from a single mother called the All-Truth. Um, the All-Truth. And while uh, all living things are made up of the five elements, apparently the All-Truth had no trace of shadow in her, which is the element of conceit and uncertainty, according to Rox. And, uh, you know, we already knew Enigmans place a high value on truth, so you can you can see the appeal of such a creature right uh to them and the Lyrtus actually goes so far to say that enigmas don't really worship the scribes their religion is truth so you know maybe uh maybe rox's code here comes a, a little clearer uh too it's not just a matter of a keeping to his oath but uh you know truth is important to him culturally or society societally is that a word don't know uh but you know important to where he he grew up before he became <clears throat> Deliritus's harbor. And, uh, you know, also that description back in chapter 16 of the worm makes a little more sense. This kind of the iridescent halo where the shadows seem afraid to touch it. So, you know, that's uh, apparently uh, hearkening back to this story that Rox has where the all truth, uh, the mother of all worms, did not have any shadow in her. So it seems that her offspring have at least some of that characteristic <clears throat> as well. You know, of course, Bas can never, uh, you know, nothing is, uh, uh, nothing is uh, holy to Baz, right? You know, isn't that like eating your god rocks? <laughs> you know, sure, but what else can you do when your gods are constantly trying to kill you? <laughs> uh, you fight back. Uh, and, you know, it's a big lie to kill something for no purpose. Uh, again, hearkening back, you know, Rox's credo here, uh, no lies. So, you know, if you kill something, you got to put it to use. So Rox takes this head so he can eat it and put it to use. And uh, apparently also its fangs are good luck charms. Uh, so uh, we'll see what Rox does with those later on here. Uh, this is also just a little interesting tidbit about the magic system here. But this note that all living things are made up of the five elements. Uh, I'm not sure that was ever explicitly pointed out before this point in the book, but just a nice little a nice, a nice little world-building element there, and the existence of the five elements <clears throat> does become a little more relevant as we go deeper into the book and into the series. So just laying the groundwork for that now. <clears throat> a relatively ordinary man... Uh, another significant thing that happens here in Chapter 17, uh, Baz sees rocks without his mask on for the first time while he's eating, and Baz is kind of struck by how ordinary he looks, right? You know, if he didn't see, uh, and I'm not directly quoting here, but it, you know, if he didn't notice how big he was, you'd, you'd think he was just a normal man of 30. Well, perhaps a little more grizzled <laughs> than average. 
uh, and the changes continue here, right? You know, we already saw the changing relationships in, in the previous chapter where, you know, trust was being thrown around much more freely than it has been to this point. Um, and, you know, we see rocks actually called to Lyritus for, uh, called to Lyritus to task, right? For failing to recognize that Baz saved him. He deserves gratitude, Rox tells us. Uh, you know, Baz, <laughs> Baz can't believe it, but you know, Rox basically just thanked him for saving him. Uh, you know, of course, Baz is surprised, but are we really so surprised here at this point? Uh, Rox has been showing us for many chapters now that he is, uh, he's not just a dumb brute like maybe we thought he might be in the opening chapters. And like I said a few chapters back in the shop when Baz picked up his hat he's in some ways he's maybe the most moral moral of our characters here um Baz is still just in denial <clears throat> because of uh what Rox did to his brother all those years ago uh still Rox not all rainbows here right <laughs> you know uh while they're talking about Rox's obsession with truth Deliritus notes how there's no bigger lie than breaking an oath you know, that's why enigmas make such great harbors. You get them to swear this oath to protect you, and you know they are going to live up to it because they do not break their oaths. And, of course, then Rox tosses in here just a little, you know, a little toss, you know, ping-pong ball into the cup. Permitting another to go back on an oath is also a lie. Um, looks at Baz <laughs> while well, he says that. A bit of a veiled threat here, right? Just reminding Baz, you know, you made this promise to Deliritus. No backing out. I've got my eye on you. Uh, so his moral code is a blessing and a curse here, um, for Baz. <clears throat> um, all right, just a few more things to, uh, consider here in chapter 17. It's more like they're trying to keep people away. Uh, they briefly discuss the cityless again in this chapter because Deliritus confirms for us that that pit, uh, that the worm was in was likely a cityless trap. Uh, though he says the cityless do it so they can pillage valuables off the corpses after the worms kill them. But, you know, Bass points out, you know, does that really make a lot of sense? What are they going to do with valuables out in the wilds? It's more like they're trying to keep people away from Tome, Deliritus. Um, you know, Baz recalls that the cityless who was captured back in Chapter 5, remember the guy we watched, he was getting tortured, and then he <clears throat> uh, got away, or his chains broke, and he almost killed uh, Deliritus, and uh, he's really the reason that Baz is on this journey, right? Because he took Delida out of commission, so Deliritus had to bring Baz instead. But, you know, Baz muses whether there might actually be something uh, at home that the city is sort of trying to keep them from other than just a pile of rubble. Um, you know, Deliritus brushes this off, of course. They're just uncivilized heathens. You know, or maybe he calls them savages. Uh, you know, but you do, do you notice here how he evades Baz's question about what a declaimer is? You know, it's mindless fiction, Bastion. Uh, you know, but why, why not just answer that? So, hmm, that's probably gonna, that's probably gonna come back here too. What is a declaimer? Um, we'll find out soon enough, but not right now. <clears throat> Uh, no stop rune required. So towards the end of the chapter here, another interesting development. Uh, you know, Deliritus kind of shocks Baz to silence here, which uh, <laughs> is shocking in and of itself because Baz seems to always have something to say. 
Um, but Deliritus lets Baz memorize a spell. You know, just a simple one to start a small fire, but kind of a huge step here. I mean, just a few chapters ago, <laughs> Deliritus made Baz stand on the other side of the clearing before he was even willing to read to him. Um, and, uh, you know, get a little literary here just for a second, but kind of a nice bit of parallelism here. Parallelism? Hmm. We'll have to re-record that if we were narrating. But uh, parallelism... Uh, this is the first the first spell that Deliritus trusts Baz with. It's also the first spell that Tax uh, taught to Baz. So we're kind of coming, we're circling the wagons here, just like the Buffalo Bills, right? Coming full, <laughs> coming full circle. Um, you know, Baz is going to grow now. Well, shouldn't shouldn't say that like a statement, but now do we think Baz is going to grow to trust Deliritus as much as he does his own brother? Um, that kind of seems unlikely, but, uh, the mountains are certainly moving here, if slowly, so, um, I hope you are excited to see where this relationship between Baz, Deliritus, and Rox continues to head as we plow forward in the Actus Trials here. Um, but that's all for our analysis this week. Next week, we're going to read chapter 18, and we head into the Firelands. Our merry band will face another challenge, and Deliritus shows us just how much he's changed from that entitled young man we saw at the beginning of the novel. So tune in next week to hear me read chapter 18, and then we will discuss it together here on the show. Uh, all right, this week's quest, I would like you to share your favorite fantasy quote with me, and, uh, if I like it enough, I will feature it in a future episode and give you, uh, give you some credit <laughs> for it, so, uh, send those my way, dtkane at dtkane.com, <clears throat> uh, interested to see what hits my inbox here. Uh, all right, and then we will close with um, my own quote that I have selected this week, as we do every week. This one comes from Brent Weeks, uh, his book The Black Prism, which is book one of the Lightbringer series. Uh, and the quote is, When you don't know what to do, do what's right and do what's in front of you, but not necessarily what's right in front of you. Um, I like the wordplay here and uh, the meaning uh, behind it. Let's unpack this. So when you don't know what to do, do what's right. All right. that um, Do what's right. That seems, all right, that's self-explanatory. And do what's in front of you. Well, what does that mean? Um, I think that means, uh, you know, if, if you're uncertain, well, you know, pick the one thing, you know, what needs to get done now, right? And just do that, you know, focus, focus on that. You're not gonna, you're not gonna be able to get anything done if you're just scattershot and you're trying to do 10 things at once. Focus, you know, what's important and get that done. Um, so, right. So when you don't know what to do, do what's right and do what's in front of you, but not necessarily what's right in front of you. What does that mean? Um, that would seem to mean, uh, you know, don't take the easy way perhaps, or the right answer isn't always necessarily the obvious one, the thing that's right in front of you. Um, so when you're trying to decide uh, what is right, 
you know, you need to think about that, go deeper uh, than just doing the easy thing or the obvious thing. And then I suppose uh, as well that also means, um, you know, the most important thing that you need to do right now may not be the obvious thing that's right in front of you. You know, consider your priorities and, uh, you know, what should you actually be doing, not what's, not what is uh, easy. So there you go. Maybe, uh, maybe we bled over into the philosophy club a little there too with the quote, but, uh, I hope you, uh, hope you enjoy those quotes. Hope they get you thinking. And, uh, you know, I like, uh, I like connecting the fantasy quotes here back to, uh, the real world. I think that's one criticism some people who don't read fantasy have is I just, I just can't, I can't believe it. How can you read that stuff where nothing is real? But, you know, you know, sometimes stories are, uh, uh, just as real uh, or even more real than than real life because they let you tackle some uh, difficult issues that are hard to tackle head on. But if you tackle them in, in a fantasy environment, it makes it a little uh, easier to digest them. But I think uh, that's a <laughs> that's a that's enough of uh, of the philosophy for this week. And uh, that's enough of the podcast for now. So thank you for joining me. Always enjoy my time here with you each week. And until next time, this has been D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. Thanks for listening to D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. If you liked today's episode, please consider rating and reviewing wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're watching on YouTube, give this video a thumbs up if you liked it and hit that subscribe button and the bell so you get notified whenever new episodes become available. If you'd like to listen to back episodes or review the show notes, visit dtkane.com slash podcast. DT Kane's novels are available for purchase at most major online retailers, or you can purchase directly from his website at www.dtkane.com slash books. You can receive a free short story and sign up for DT Kane's mailing list at dtkane.com slash email dash sign up. If you'd like to connect, you can find DT Kane on Facebook at DT Kane Author or Twitter at DT Kane Author or send DT Kane an email at DT Kane at DT Kane.com. See you next week.